you would take out your copy of God's Word and turn to Acts chapter 13. To continue our sermon series through the book of Acts. As we have traced the beginning of the church is witness from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. We find ourselves today in Acts chapter 13 uh, focused on this church in Antioch which began in chapter 11. And God uh, puts this church before us as a model of what a uh, missional church looks like, what a church committed to the mission of Christ looks like. And so we're going to consider that today in light of our mission. We're only going to look at uh, the first three verses, four, actually three and a half verses uh, of Acts 13 this morning. So if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. And we do this as a witness. Uh, we, we declare to ourselves when we stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word that this is Christ's word to us. Uh, a witness, a sign to ourselves that, that this is vital to our existence. A sign to the world around us that, that this is where we get our wisdom, that it is God's word that guides us. A sign to the forces of darkness that Jesus is king. In these moments we are declaring those things as we hear from Christ in his word. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And then verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Oh God, we pray that you would take these words and this, this image, this visual of a church that is on mission, of a church that is, is longing for the return of Christ, of a church that is looking for your will in the world. God, you would take this image before us today and you would shape us as a church. God, we don't want to be a church that's clinging on, clinging on to the blessings that you give us. God, we want to be a church that's letting them go for the sake of the nations. We want to pray today, God, bless us so that we might bless the nations. And God, we beg and we plead that you would answer that prayer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. About 10 years ago, I was headed out on my first overseas international mission trip. And it was to the city of Brasilia, Brazil. And I was fired up about that. I had grown up 19, 20 years in the same small rural town in Tennessee. I didn't know that there was much else outside of Lewisburg, Tennessee. And then I moved to Birmingham and I was there serving a church. Uh, and they were involved in a mission endeavor where they were sending out pastors uh, to Brazil to preach all across Brazil 
uh, from different churches there, and I was going to be a part of that for a week of revivals. I was going to be sent to a church in the city of Brasilia, Brazil, and I was going to preach uh, a revival there that week for that church, along with, I think it was a hundred other uh, American pastors from Birmingham. And each night after the service in this church, that was a rather large church in the city where I was preaching, the pastor would take me to the back of the church and I would greet people as they left the church and I would shake their hands and, and they would move on and they, they would leave and they would go home. But I noticed as the week went on, as I greeted everyone in the back of the church, the teenagers, the young adults of the church, began to congregate to watch me greet everyone. And, and I noticed as the week on, went on that they were laughing at the way that I was greeting the, the people as they left or uh, as they were leaving, what I was saying to them. And, and, and this crowd of teenagers just grew as, as the week went on and the laughter kind of got louder. And by the end of the week, I finally, through an interpreter, went up to... One of the young adults and I said, why are y'all back here laughing? What, what is going on back here? What am I doing that is so funny back here? And I realized after talking to the interpreter and, and the young man uh, through broken English that I was actually, as people were living, leaving the church, I was actually giving them the Brazilian bird. Everybody that would come and hear the sermon... As they left, I would smile at them and they would give me a, a compliment through the interpreter and I would get in their face and go, thank you, thank you, just to communicate that I understood and I was thankful. And, and, and the, the young man said, you're actually flipping everyone off and it's rather funny to us. <laughs> and so here I was. It was one of the most humiliating experiences in ministry. Because here I was preaching to these people, this rather large church in the city of Brasilia, and they were leaving, and I was, you know, stone cold Steve Austin in everybody. <laughs> and I think back about that moment, my first mission trip, it was this great week in this beautiful city, these beautiful people, and yet it was marked by just such clumsy humility. I don't even understand why someone didn't tell me that early. <laughs> but it was marked by just this humiliating experience. It wasn't this sort of mountaintop thing. I had to come back and say, yeah, I preached, and then I irritated and aggravated everybody as they left. But I, I, I marked that as uh, just an example in the way that most ministry and mission goes. You, you so often feel so great about what you're doing and you're on this great mission experience. And then you look around and you're often doing things so clumsily. And, and you wonder, how in the world does God even use me? How in the world does he even use our church at times? How in the world does, does God make this move? And, and we've seen that through the book of Acts in, in various ways. Last week, we, we see this picture in Acts chapter 12 of this very arrogant and prideful king who is eventually eaten by worms. And, and God told us, tells us in Acts chapter 12, if you think it's about your kingdom, your glory, 
You oppose God and your kingdom will be left in the dirt. And throughout that chapter, we even saw the church who clumsily can't get things together. They are praying for Peter to be released. Peter stands at the door and they turn and they say, it can't be Peter. And they are so clumsy, they are so ignorant to what God is doing all around them. And as we read the book of Acts, we see that over and over. How can God use this? There are people being persecuted, imprisoned, and killed. And it's like the church just sort of clumsily keeps tripping along. How does this even work? Well, if we go back to Acts chapter 1, we understand how it works. When Jesus said, you will be my witnesses when my spirit falls upon you. The witness is not dependent upon you. The witness is dependent upon my spirit. My spirit will take you from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And we have seen that work out all through the book of Acts. Even when we look and we say, how is it even possible? How, how does that even work? The spirit is getting it done. And we get to Acts chapter 13 and we see this church in Antioch has been formed actually through persecution. Stephen was stoned, this deacon who had great faith, full of the Spirit. And he stands up and he proclaims Jesus as Lord and he is killed and he is stoned. And many Christians from that point on began to leave Jerusalem. They began to flee the city. And we saw in Acts chapter 6 that that was God's design. God scattered them out like seed to proclaim the gospel all around the world so that the gospel would grow. And one of the places that it is found growing is in the city of Antioch. This would have been a very Greek city. And the persecuted Christians who arrived there, they just kept preaching the gospel. And this vibrant, diverse mission-minded church begins to form in the city of Antioch. They are even known for their discipleship. This is the first place, Antioch, where the term Christian is mentioned. Now, it was probably a derogatory term toward the church. You think you're little Christ, and they were probably made fun of. But this is where that term comes from. They were known for their discipleship. And one of the things the church in Antioch did is... They were so healthy, they were so mission-minded, that they turned around and they heard of a coming famine back in Judea. And this Greek church sends back money through Paul and Barnabas back to Judea. That, that's how mission-minded they are. That's how committed to the gospel they are. They're going to serve their brothers back in Jerusalem, in Judea, and they take up an offering and they send it back. And, and, and up until Acts chapter 13, we see this sort of clumsy church that is stumbling. It's almost as if the Spirit is pushing and, and pulling this church to the ends of the earth. And then we see the church at Antioch. And there's a church that's not being pushed or pulled. It's a church that's following. It's a church that's standing up and walking to the ends of the earth. And, and we see that in our text today as they are committed to sending. They are committed to getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, 
even if it means for them sacrificing their best. Notice verse 1. Now, there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers. And this would have been leaders in the church who have been gifted in specific ways to reveal the word of the Lord to the church. Here we see the Spirit has a, still has a very hands-on approach to revealing to the church what God would have them do, who God would have them be, what they should believe. And so there are prophets and there are leaders in there and, and they are revealing the Word of God and they're also teaching the Word of God, teaching the Old Testament Scriptures how Jesus fulfilled them. And one of those teachers is Barnabas. We read earlier in Acts chapter 2, Barnabas was a Levite. He was a very wealthy man from the island of Cyprus. He is the man who sold his property to give to the church. That's who this man is, a very generous, sacrificial man. And Barnabas at this time was probably serving as the senior pastor at the church in Antioch. He's called the son of encouragement. Barnabas was the one who mediated... Between the leaders in Jerusalem and, the, and Saul. When Saul became a Christian, none of the believers, none of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem believed it. And Barnabas, the son of encouragement, stepped in and said, no, it's true. He's believed the gospel. Barnabas was one of those leaders that was sent to the first Gentile movement of Christians to say, yes, it's true. The Gentiles are believing the gospel. And here, Barnabas, this leader, is leading the church in Antioch, probably, as I said, the senior pastor there. And then we have Simeon. We don't know much about him. He is a black man who some believe that he is even the one who carried the cross of Christ as Jesus was being crucified and, and couldn't go any further. This is the man that picked it up. We don't know that for sure. We have Lucius. He's from North Africa. We have this man named Manion, which he is, he, he's described here as a friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And actually the word there, it, it refers to being adopted. He was so close to this family of Herod the Tetrarch that he was brought in and he was raised around royalty. That's who this man is. And then we have Saul. And we all know who Saul is. He is the one who was intent on killing Christians. And he sees this vision of Christ and he is commissioned to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Saul, who has been converted from Judaism. And here Saul is probably at this point, what we know about the Apostle Paul at this point is he's probably the lead teacher there. He's probably the one opening up the Old Testament Scriptures and explaining to the Greeks, explaining to the Gentiles, explaining to the converted Jews what it means to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. But one of the things in verse 1 that we see here, one of the signs of the Spirit that we see here is the Spirit cannot be present without diversity. Notice how all of those leaders are described. This is a diverse bunch of leaders. And a church full of the Spirit will become diverse in, in, in ethnicity, in social standing, in economic standing. The, the church that is full of the Spirit, what we're seeing in the book of Acts, will by nature become a diverse church. You see, that is the goal of the Spirit. To raise up many people's around one word, 
one community of faith around this one word of the kingdom. And here we have a Levite. We have Greeks. We have blacks. We have religious. And we have pagans. And this isn't a prayer list. This is your pastoral staff in Antioch. This is a diverse bunch of pastors. And we see here that the missional church makes the mission tangible by their own inherent diversity. That you make your mission tangible when you look around the church and you see diversity. We're going to the ends of the earth. We're going to reach all kinds of cultures, all kinds of people. Look around. We're as diverse as possible. And it gives our mission credibility. You see, one of the hypocrisies in the church in America is our willingness to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to go far, far away to take selfies with orphans, to take videos of unreached people. But if those same people of that same skin color, of that same economic status, walk in the doors of our church, we would freak out. You say, what are they doing here? How they hear us? While we're on mission to reach them, and what we see is mission so often, it's a program. It's a PR campaign. We know it's in the scripture. And so we have a PR campaign that we're on mission, but it's not really our heart. And we see here a heart full of the spirit will be committed to diversity in the context of the church. One principle we can draw here from the church of Antioch is this. We don't go to people groups. We wouldn't be comfortable leaving our church. We, we, why go if you're not comfortable with them believing the gospel? Coming to faith in Christ. Being full of the spirit. And if they are credible. And if they are qualified. Calling them pastor. Why, why, what would you be, why would you be uncomfortable with that? And, and so as a church. We're not looking for skilled. White slick professionals. To lead our church. We're looking for people who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are committed to the gospel, and who lead out by the power of God. And so one of our prayers here at Ashland Church is that we would be diverse. We wouldn't just reach diverse people, but we would be diverse, and it's reflected even in our leadership. You should pray that your kids have the opportunity to be led in journey by someone who looks totally different than they do. So, someone of another race, someone of another economic set. You should long for your children to experience Bible fellowship group in another part of the town that you don't live in that you probably wouldn't go to very often. You, you should be looking for that in their life. You should be praying that, that your students in Veritas are mentored by people who are not like them and not like you. You should long for, for this church to be led in diversity by diverse leaders. Notice they continue here. While they were worshiping. Now the word for worship here is just a generic term that means to serve the Lord. They are serving. They are ministering the gospel. And notice this service is enhanced by the word fasting. Now... Fasting means to go without something, primarily food, to say that you are longing for something better. 
when you fast. And by the way, Jesus didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast. When you fast, you are declaring, I have a hunger for God beyond any hunger that I could possibly have. You are demonstrating to yourself what Jesus promised. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And here this church, uh, so intent on being close to the heart of Christ, they are fasting. And, and one, of the, one of the ways Jesus explained fasting is he connected it to his return. He, he said, fasting is a demonstration that you long for me more than anything else, but it's that you long for my return. And he would tell his disciples, you, you don't go to weddings and fast. If you're at a wedding and you say, oh, I can't do that, I'm fasting. People would say, why did you come? Because we're going to have cake, we're going to have food. And, and why did you come? You don't fast at Thanksgiving. Granny would say, why did you come? Why are you here? We are here to celebrate. And one of the ways that we celebrate is we eat. But when someone dies, what happens? We lose our appetite. When we are missing something, we lose our appetite. And what Jesus says is you display your longing for me to come by fasting. By saying, I've lost my appetite for the things of this world. I want Jesus more than anything. That's what Jesus, that's how Jesus fills fasting full of meaning. And then as we see in the Acts started, Jesus connects this longing for His kingdom, this fasting for His kingdom, to the mission. Remember the disciples said, okay, you're back from the dead, everything's good. Now, let's go set up shop in Jerusalem. When are you going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus said, that's not for you to know. What I want you to do right now is I want you to go tell everybody that I'm back from the dead. Go witness me as Lord and King over sin and death. And then the end will come. In Matthew chapter 24, <clears throat> Jesus teaches his disciples this. This gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Jesus seems to connect his second coming with the proclamation of the gospel to all people. And he seems to be saying, as the world hears, and when all the world hears of my lordship, then I will come. And so this longing for the kingdom is connected to our mission. You want Jesus to come? Jesus seems to say, then get after it and tell as many people about me as you can. Then get after it and be strategic in going to all peoples for the sake of the gospel. But missions is drudgery for some of us. Talking about going to the nations, talking about sacrificing and praying for the sake of the gospel among all people, it's drudgery for some of us because we don't long for Jesus to come. We like our life the way it is. We just wish it was just a little bit better. And that's how we live every day. I really like it here. Just, just a little bit easier. And our mission every day is to make this world easier. Our mission every day is to make this world better. And, and so when someone says, let's go proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's go get this task 
that Jesus gave us that's connected to Him coming again, let's go get after it. We go, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know if I want Him to come. And everything you're talking about contradicts my mission for me. And missions is drudgery because you're not saying, this world isn't my home. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let, let, let's get to the ends of the earth. Let's tell all peoples this gospel of the kingdom and then the end will come. Let's get after it. You're not longing for Jesus to come, so you're not getting after it for the sake of the gospel. You're not on mission. Missions is drudgery for you. It jeopardizes your comfort and safety because you're not longing for the kingdom to come. You know what the solution to this is? Notice the text. While they were worshiping and fasting. Some of us need to worship more. And we will be more engaged with Jesus' mission around the world. When you delight in Jesus. And, and you are so committed to, to say, Jesus, you are worthy. That's what worship is. Declaring the worth of Christ. You are more valuable than anything else. When, when you reflect on that and you taste and you see the Lord is good in worship, then you begin to long for everybody to taste and see to the ends of the earth. And you are willing to go anywhere to tell anyone about Jesus so this mission is accomplished because your mission isn't me and making my life better and easier. No, your mission is the gathered church around the throne of Jesus. People from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, worshiping Him forever. And when you worship Him here, you long for that to happen. And the deepest longing of your heart is that Jesus would come and you would gather with your brothers and sisters from around the world and you would declare His worth forever and ever and you would serve Him forever and ever. Some of us need to fast so we're better missionaries. We need to prove to ourselves that the kingdom of Christ is better than even food so that we long for it. So that we're ready to do whatever to accomplish this mission. Notice, as they are worshiping, as they are fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Notice, the Spirit says here, again, the Spirit is still very hands-on in telling the church what to do. The, the Scripture is yet to be complete and handed off to the church. And so the Spirit speaks in this audible voice and tells them exactly what to do. Set apart. The word set apart, set apart here. Means, that's not what it means. Uh, set apart means to be sanctified. It means to be holy. And, and it's used throughout scripture of vessels and, and people in the temple. And so you would look at things, objects that were used for worship in the temple. And you would say this is set apart only to God. This person, this priest is set apart only to God. And so here the Holy Spirit comes in the church and He says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. They are mine. I have a holy task to which I have called them. And the word for called, is, it, it, it refers to the sovereign calling of God on their life. And He says, I have given them a mission. They're to be used for a specific task. They're going to be these Preachers and teachers that you know and you experience their, their, their ministry, they're going to go do that someone else, somewhere else. This is the will of God for them. Now, what we see in the life of the church here 
is the same thing that we see when people ask me, or, or people struggle with this, and they come to me and they say, how do I know what God's will for my life is? And I usually say this, well, it's very simple. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4. As you are delighting in the gospel, you're walking with Jesus, you're in the Word, you're rehearsing His story for your life, you're believing the gospel for yourself, you are praying, you're serving others, you're serving the church. As you are delighting yourself in the Lord, the desires of your heart will be shaped by Jesus. And so when you say... How do I know what God's will for my life is? If you're delighting yourself in the Lord, what I will say to you is do what you want. Do whatever you want. Because if you're delighting yourself in the Lord, you see that He is forming your desires. And we see that in the context of the church as the church thinks about what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for our church? It's very simple. Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, we don't need to have a committee to sit around and think, what's our mission statement? We don't. Jesus told us our mission statement. In the Great Commission, when He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And get this, the last part of the Great Commission is this. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. What Jesus says in the Great Commission is if you are getting after it, making disciples of all nations, you don't have to worry about where I'm at. You don't have to ask, is Jesus with us? Because if you're making disciples, I'm going to be with you. Jesus says to us in the Great Commission, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go rescue all people. I'm going to go make sure all people know that I am a former corpse back from the dead that will rule and reign. If you want to find me, let's go to the nations. That's where I'm going to be. And so as a church, if we are walking with Jesus to the nations, the will of God for us always makes perfect sense. Because the will of God for us is to make disciples of all nations, and then we just do whatever we want. Do you get that, right? If you are making disciples, every decision revolves around that mission. See, in the context of church, when mission is lost, when this mission isn't primary, when it's a mystery, that's where conflict comes from. That's when everybody shows up and says, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Oh, I think we should do this. I think we should do this. And they're not asking, what would Jesus have us do? Oh, he's already told us. Make disciples of all people, even to the ends of the earth. And when mission is a mystery, everything is up for debate. Everything. When you're not centering your church around the Great Commission, everybody comes into every discussion ready to debate their own agenda. No, I think we should do this. I think we should do that. I think this. I think that. But when the mission is central, everybody is saying, it's not what are we going to do, it's how are we going to do it. And we can even disagree about how we're going to do it. But when the mission is the same, we don't walk away from one another because we're still on the same mission. And so we make disciples of all nations and then we do what we want. Because we're making decisions in light of what Jesus wants. But here's the key to this. A lot of you are saying, yeah, amen, that makes sense. But here's the key. 
You cannot have a com competing mission for your own life that differs from your church. See, that happens a lot in churches. We would tip our hat to this mission. But if you're not fleshing out God's desire for your life, you shall be witnesses. You, your identity is wrapped up in declaring the truth of Jesus from Jer Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, then you have no idea what your church should be doing. Because on a daily basis, you're not doing it yourself. And this happens a lot in the context of churches, where when folks give to the church for something other than the mission, they're frustrated when the church uses their money for the mission. Because that's not why they were giving. When, when people come to me and they're frustrated, why are we using the money this way? Why are we doing this? I ask these questions, and I, and I say, first of all, don't tell me your answer, but I'm going to ask you these questions, and you answer them inside your brain. How much are you giving? I don't know what anybody here gives and never will. But I say, why are, we, why are we using the money for this? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing... Okay, how much are you giving? Answer it in your head. Now, why did you give that money? Why did you give that money? And it says everything about what you want your church to be. And if it's other than, anything other than, let's reach more people for the sake of the gospel. Here's my money. Let's plant churches to the ends of the earth. Here's my money. Then you're going to answer all these questions in all kinds of ways. And you're going to be frustrated when we as a church say, let's go to the ends of the earth. So, so, so if your mission for your life is different from your churches, you have no business talking about what the will of the church is. You have no business if you're not fleshing this out as an individual on a daily basis. Now we'll come in and we'll say, why are we doing this? Why are we doing what I want? Why are we having this event? I need, an, I need a more comfortable chair. Oh, why did we buy comfortable chairs and not do a Super Bowl party? Oh, you mean we're not doing this? We're not doing that? Why are you giving? Why are you giving? For comfortable chairs? Super Bowl parties? Why are you giving? Oh, to make disciples? Comfortable chairs can fall under that category at some point if we got the money for it. But why are you giving? And we evaluate all decisions in the context of church in light of our mission. But we, as individuals. But notice verse 3. Then after fasting, and some of you thought three verses, this would be a short one. <laughs> verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Literally, they're in a posture of longing to complete the mission. That's why they're fasting. They want Jesus to come, and so they're committed on fulfilling the commission, the mission. And so here's what they do. When the Spirit speaks, they lay their hands on Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas. And, and this is a visual of what we normally call ordination, which we lay hands on people for a specific task. And the word actually means to fill the hands. And, and what we're saying is these people fill the hands of God for a specific task. But the word here, they sent them off, literally means to release them. And we see here the Holy Spirit calls out these men and the ch church affirms this call by letting them go. And no pastor, no missionary, no church planner calls themselves, ever. The Holy Spirit calls them and then the church says, yeah, the Holy Spirit calls you. It's not, whoa, I, that's a nice career. 
I'd like to, I would like to pursue that career of missionary, church planner, pastor. No, the Holy Spirit calls you to that. And then the church says, yes, the Holy Spirit has called you. And the church says yes to it by releasing them. Now think about Saul, Paul, and Barnabas. They were probably the most valuable leaders in the context of that church. We see what they do throughout the rest of the book of Acts. We're about to talk a lot about it. There's a movie about Paul coming out. They were extremely effective ministers of the gospel. And can you imagine the conversation in Antioch? Why Barnabas? He gives so much. I mean, he's the son of encouragement. He leads front line. He leads the greeters. He's so encouraging. And Saul, we just got him saved. We just, I mean, and he is so wise. And, and I've learned so much from him. Why are we sending him away? You see, that's the natural thinking in the context of the church. That if we release things that are of value to us, we die. But the, the logic of the kingdom is no, when you release things of value, you live. And as a church, we are going to be more healthy the more things of value we send to the ends of the earth. That is going to determine our healthiness as a church. Our resources, whether it be finances or whether it be people, aren't to clog up the arteries of our church. We're not going to just hoard all these things to ourselves and let it clog up our arteries. No, we're going to release them to the ends of the earth as lifeblood that keeps us functioning, that makes us healthy. Charles Spurgeon once said this, Our gifts are not to be measured by the amount we contribute, but by the surplus kept in our hand. You get that? Some of us can say we give a lot to missions, but we also keep a lot in our hand. And he says your legacy is going to be determined by what you have left in your hand when you die. He also said this, It is bad to see our money become a runaway servant and leave us, but it would be worse to have it stop with us and become our master. You get that? We pray. You should unashamedly pray this prayer. God bless me. Give me more money. Might not say it like that. <laughs> give me a better job. Give me that promotion. God, give me the grace to work hard, to lead others so that I can have more money. Bless me. But Psalm 67 says this, so I can bless the nations. Some of you are not being blessed by God in those ways because you're saying, bless me so I can hold on to it just a little bit longer. Bless me so I can be more comfortable. Bless me so that I can be secure. Bless me, bless me, bless me so it can be about me instead of being a channel to the nations. Maybe God would bless you. I don't know. Maybe He would bless you financially if you said, it's all coming. Just give it to me. Let me, let me have the joy of sending it on. Give it to me, God. I, I want more blessing. And, and not just finances. All we have to be sent to bless the nations. You know what? One of the number one problems of college students and young families going to the mission field is? Grandparents. Who, who, have given, who have doted on them, uh, dare I say spoiled them, and then when they say, I'm going to Indonesia, they say, oh no, you're not. That's not why I sent you to college. 
the number one problem with college students not going to the mission field, the number one problem with young adults when they say we're going to the mission field is grandparents. Because they say FaceTime's not enough. And it's because we have invested in our kids to be little props to make us happy. And we don't see them as arrows to shoot to the end of the earth. Oh, God gave you to me as an arrow. I'm going to get you to the end of the earth for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to teach you, even if you're not at living in another people group, how to, how to make money and strategize to send your money to the ends of the earth. And maybe God takes you to another part of the country so that you can plant your life for the sake of the gospel. We've seen that happen here, by the way. Well, one of the, one of the sort of tipping points in the life of our church where we said, can we do this? is when we said we want to plant churches in New Orleans. And we had Josh and Stephanie Vernell said, I want to go. And we said, whoa, 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 whoa. No, not yet, not yet. I want to go. We had the Rhea Pals. Ryan's not a pastor. Ryan's not a missionary. You know what he said? He said, if we're going to be a part of church planting in New Orleans, we just got married. We don't have anything else here in Kentucky. We're going to move to New Orleans. And they just had a baby there two weeks ago. And grandparents had to pack up and go to New Orleans. And I'm sure they were mad at me for that. <laughs> but that's the culture we want around here. That's what we want. We want to celebrate when we are able to let go of our kids. When we're able to let go of our money. When we put our hands on things long enough just to say, you're God's. You're God's and He's given you over to, to, to go witness the gospel. Even if I only see you on Skype once a month, you are God's. We have eternity to spend together. We have zillions of years to fellowship. You can spend the rest of your life somewhere else. That's the culture we want. And if you don't want that culture, go somewhere else. Go somewhere else. If you don't want that, fire me. Fire, I'll find a job. Been doing this 20 years. <laughs> I will. But that's who we're going to be. And when you mouth about sending stuff out of here, well, you're going to hear from us. Because why? The will of God is perfect and clear for us. Make disciples to the ends of the earth. Now, we do need bathrooms. <laughs> and we need more space. And you know why? Because we want to fit more missionaries in here. That's right. And we want more missionaries to be able to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Even though they're going to spend the rest of their life in a hut. <laughs> That's what we want. But the best missionaries... I keep saying I'm going to preach shorter sermons. It's not happening. <laughs> the best missionaries, the best churches... In sending are churches that understand they are sent. We leave here today and we're all missionaries. We are a sent church that's sending. And we view what we have before us here in Richmond, Kentucky as God's unique opportunity for us. We're not just here and this is just some abstract place that doesn't mean anything. No, God placed Ashland Church in Richmond, Kentucky with unique gifts and unique opportunities to reach this city. So if you say missions is for someone else, you don't understand why we're here. God gave us, this church, unique opportunities. By the way, quit, I'm, I'm on my soapbox. <laughs> quit worrying about.
about what other churches are doing. Quit worrying about it. Don't bring it up to me anymore. <laughs> Quit worrying about it. And you always bring it up in good ways. Oh, we're so great, and they do this. Can you believe they do no, Let's just stop worrying about it. They're not us. We have a specific mission. And it's not theirs. And we pray they can reach more people in Richmond. We pray for that. But we have a specific mission. We do. Specific opportunities. Specific gifts. Specific resources here. And you know where it starts? When you wake up tomorrow morning and you say, it's not just my church that's given a specific mission. Me. And some of you wake up to those babies staying at home tomorrow. And you know you have a mission there. To love them to the glory of God. To teach them the gospel. And some of you will walk in a school building tomorrow. And you have a mission. It's not just this unique sentimental calling on your life to do good. No, your students will remember you the rest of your life. May they remember Jesus because of you. Some of you will walk on a college campus tomorrow. And you've got four years of your life, the most strategic mission opportunity before you. It just gets harder from here on out, by the way. Quit thinking it's the busiest, hardest time of your life. It's easy right now. <laughs> and it's easy to share the gospel with people because they're just right there. And they already think you're crazy. So share the gospel. You have four years to give yourself to that college campus. That is your mission tomorrow. We are a church that is sending, but we are all sent. You will sit in that cubicle tomorrow. You will be a supervisor at the factory. You will be greeting people at Walmart tomorrow so that you can make money, so that you can give and send more people and tell more people about Jesus. You are sent. We are sent. We are a church that is sending, but we are sent. And Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. My prayer as a pastor is this would not be a retirement center for cold, lazy Christians to come die. I don't want it. I'm praying a third of you aren't sitting here next week. Next, yeah, next week, maybe not. <laughs> next year. Because you're somewhere else for the sake of God. I, I want that. I want that. God, search my heart and make sure that I'm not lying before my church family, but I want that. If we give it all and go bankrupt for the mission, who cares? If we send everybody out for the sake of the mission, who cares? That's why we're here. That's not going to happen. We'll keep reaching more people. But I want that. I hope that you want it. I'll stop. Let's pray. <laughs>